Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always, joined by my co-host, Jake Miller. And Jake, we are heading into week 17. We actually have started week 17 with two games already in the books from the time we are recording. But before we get into our recap of week 16, uh, you, we were hoping that we'd be facing each other in fantasy and... I mean, you had a fantastic year, but it did end in the semifinals. What do you think was the biggest reason you lost? Injuries. Uh, I had my kicker go out halfway, which was Dustin Hopkins. I also had my neither of my defenses, either if I started one, gave me one or zero, being the Dallas Cowboys and the Indianapolis Colts. And probably the one that hurt me the most was TJ Hawkinson going out in the third quarter. Because he was kind of like the guy consistently getting me points all throughout the year. So him going out with an MCL and an ACL tear, yeah, that really screwed me. But I wish the best of luck on his recovery because that's a hell of a fucking injury to have in week 16. It really is, especially since, what, the timetable will probably be not until maybe December. Middle of of the season next year at best. Yeah, if you're lucky, maybe October. Now, I did win my matchup uh, against our buddy Aaron with my highest point total ever in, I think, since we've done fantasy. I don't think I've ever had the amount of points that I've gotten. And we've had, and I've had some pretty stacked teams. Puka was just off the wall good, gave me 33, almost 25 from Josh Allen. And I mean, even, I've won by 70 almost, which was just mind-boggling thankfully cd lamb he had a massive uh he had a massive game early on against the dolphins and then was quieter than basically he was quieter than an echo chamber which i'm really glad about but right now sitting at 27 to 20 in my in the championship going up against our buddy colton and jake i think i'm gonna beat him i'll just say it i think i'm gonna beat him and now he'll be pissed at me for a second time. The first time because I beat him in the championship and I had a negative record and he was very upset. But enough about our fantasy. Let's get into our Eyes on 5 recap of week 16, Jake. And we're going to start off with my first game, which was the Dolphins and the Cowboys, which we thought would be a shared game. We decided against it, but... Jake, this game was absolutely, it was everything we hoped it would be, a nail-biter. Miami won a close one, 22-20 on a last-second field goal. And Jake, this game really came down to coaching. I thought that Miami and Mike McDaniel were just more clever than Dallas. And all of this talk about we need to run the football we need to not depend on Dak all that much. Dallas ran it for 25... They ran it 25 times for 97 yards, Jake. I think, if I remember right, Miami has been pretty susceptible to the run game. Tony Pollard, though, led the team 12 carries for 38 yards. 3.2 a carry. Which meant Dak went 20-32, 253, two touchdowns, no picks. But he did get sacked four times as well. And CeeDee Lamb, Jake, as we mentioned, he had four catches for 93 yards and a touchdown in, I believe, the first quarter. 
of this game. And then he combined for two catches and 25 yards the rest of the game. He, now, granted, he finished six catches, 118 yards and a touchdown, which sounds great, but it doesn't matter if you just don't have anything from him. Now, I thought, Jake, the biggest thing that killed Dallas, though, was turnovers. You had Dak, well, Dak and the fullback muffed the handoff. It fumbles on the goal line and Miami's able to recover it at like the three. That was just, it was a, it took all the air out of this team. Now, Miami, Jake, for their credit, like I said, they did get to Dallas four times, or they got to Dak, excuse me, four times. Andrew Van Ginkle and Bradley Chubb both had one and a half sacks. And Zach Seiler also continuing his fantastic season and this fantastic stretch he's been on. He chipped in a sack as well. But they hit Dak 12 times, Jake. Now, granted, Dallas did get a sack, singular, but they only hit two of five times. And we know that in order to beat Miami, you have to get pressure on Tua. And Tyree Kill, Jake, he returned pretty well. Nine catches, 99 yards, and he sealed the game on that third down. And it was a beautiful pass. Man coverage, you send him in motion, and you run him back. Jordan Lewis stumbled and left him wide open. And ball game. Now, Miami wasn't able to run the ball at all, Jake, which I did think would be a concern moving forward. Now, Raheem Mostert led the charge 11 carries for 46 yards. Nice, healthy 4.2 a carry. Jake, what happened to Devon HN? Seven carries, 24 yards. We thought this guy was going to have a say in potentially rookie of the year after that tear he was on. And since then, he has been honestly non-existent. Now, Jake, I think with this game, though, we'll talk about Dallas again here in a moment. They need to figure out how to win on the road. Losing to Miami dropped them to three and five on the road, whereas they are unbeatable at home. They have not lost a game. Now, Miami, they also are seven and one at home, four and three on the road. So, I mean, they're still not great on the road. But Jake, what I want to ask you is this. Do you think Dallas can actually make it to the NFC Championship game if they are going on the road, which it looks like they probably will be? If Dak and the Cowboys have to play on the road, I think that they're SOL unless they face like a team with either a really bad injury before the playoffs or they just catch a team slipping because that's all it takes for this Dallas Cowboys team to get going is one slip up. And at that rate, anything's possible. It's kind of like the anything can happen. It's any given Sunday type debate. I'm not going to count them out if they do have to play on the road, but I will definitely be more worried than if I had them play at home because if they're at home, you said it best, they're unbeatable. They just beat the Lions in a fluky bullshit call way, but hey, a win's a win. So if they play on the road, uh, I don't like their odds. If they're playing at home, I like their odds a hell of a lot more, but kind of going to this back to this game you mentioned devon a chain i think that injury he sustained halfway through the season isn't fully healed up and that's why you're seeing him get very limited touches 
And he doesn't have that burst like he did earlier in the season. And because of that, you might see him take a full off-season recovery type thing and come back strong next year. I think so, too. And what I'm hoping, Jake, is that that is the case. Because when we saw him at his best, Jake, it didn't look like anyone would be able to catch him. He was so fast. And I think one thing I will mention, Jake is I'd be very worried if I'm Dallas because we're going to talk about this game for you next. The team that they might be facing on the road, which is coming out of the NFC South, they're no pushover. I think they're going to be facing a real team, and we're actually going to move on to that game, Jake, which was the Buccaneers taking on the... I believe it was the... Was it the Packers? It was the Jaguars. Or Jaguars, excuse me. Packers, Bucks was week 15. But Jake, this was one of your games. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, Trevor Lawrence is not fully healed from his injury. And at this rate, if you kind of look at his stats, he's kind of gone back to his interception woes because he's 19 touchdowns for 12 picks. We all thought that he would come into this year as a top five MVP candidate. He was actually your MVP candidate going into the year. But looking at him now, it's like, okay, what the hell is going on? Ridley actually did something. Evan Ingram is still showing that he is a damn good tight end. And the defense played their asses off as much as they could. But at the end of the day, Baker Mayfield having his resurgence year was not something I had on my bingo card. And because of that, he's looking to earn a really big payday in the offseason. Whether the Buck give him that payday or not, I'm not sure. But you could see him either get franchise tagged or, shit, if Daniel Jones got $40 million and Baker Mayfield's been more consistent than him throughout his career, and that's saying something with Baker Mayfield, he could demand 40 to 45 easy. And with that in mind, they the Bucks have cap space to do that, once if they shed some of their older defensive talent or if they restructure contracts, because if you kind of look at their younger core, Yaya Digby, the rookie had a sack and a half. Antoine Winfield had a sack and a pick. I think they need to re-sign Devin White because he got a pick and half sack. And Levante David, see if he's willing to take a not a min veteran contract, but unless he retires, which definitely a possibility at his age. But, I mean, Mike Evans has gone above and beyond with another 1,000-yard receiving campaign, and he has 13 receiving touchdowns on the year right now. He has been balling out, and Chris Godwin's been balling out too. He's almost at 1,000 yards, and with two games left in the season, he probably will get 1,000. So, Mayfield's been balling out, and Rashad White has been kicking ass in the receiving game and the running game. So other than that, it's kind of like if this defense for the Bucks keeps up and Baker continues to play at this level, it wouldn't shock me if you see him in the divisional pushing for an, for a conference championship spot. I don't think they'll get past a championship, but if you would have told me at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would not only win their division, but could push in the playoffs to make a, a semi-deep playoff run, I would have said, you're fucking high, dude. Oh, absolutely. Especially because, Jake, we know what the NFC South is. They're a bottom feeder division. 
no one ever looks good in that division. I mean, this is a team that last year, Tampa won the division with a losing record. So I think that the fact that Baker Mayfield is carrying a roster and playing better than Tom Brady did last year, it's it says a lot, especially since he's also playing extremely efficient, Jake. 26 of 35 for 283 and two touchdowns. And he did get sacked twice. I mean, that O-line is solid, but it's not, you know, it's nothing special. And like you said, Jake, Mike Evans, he's just... Mike Evans, I don't think we will truly appreciate until he retires. Because this is now, I believe, six or seven straight seasons of a thousand yards to start a career, which I don't think anyone has done. I think he broke the tie that he had. Either that or he's now tied some pretty... I think only people would probably be like, what, Randy Moss? If he's tied uh, with anyone? Not even that, but I think um, it's actually he 10. 10. Think about that. Jake, think about that. Mike Evans has had 10 straight 1,000-yard seasons. I can't believe... I didn't even know he was in the league for 10 years. That... I don't think we will truly appreciate Mike Evans until he retires. And Chris Godwin, he's still... I mean, no one has ever really looked at Chris Godwin as the number one on this team but he's still a fantastic receiver and like you mentioned with Rashad White Jake his efficiency isn't crazy in the run game 20 carries 39 yards but he did have a touchdown but we've been seeing that his passing his pass catching ability has started to shine he had six catches for 38 yards which tied for the tied for second in catches with Chris Godwin and was one behind Mike Evans and like you mentioned with his defense as well, Jake, they got after both Trevor Lawrence and C.J. Beathard for four sacks and five quarterback hits. And this defense also got two picks, one by Devin White, one by Antoine Winfield. Jake, for the Jags, though, this was a team that I thought they could be a number one seed. And what we've seen is that I don't even know if this team, if they make the playoffs, Jake, because there's a very real possibility that they don't make the playoffs. And I didn't, I would not have thought that. Now, Trevor Lawrence, 17 to 29, 211, a touchdown and two picks. The problem that I've had with Trevor Lawrence now, Jake, lately is we know that he's hurt and he knows that he's hurt. But I think the voices got in his head about people saying that he wasn't committed enough to football because of that interview he had pre-draft where he said that football wasn't the end-all be-all for him. I think that might have gotten into his head because he's been playing clearly hurt and yet he will not sit down even though everyone knows that he should. And if you're Doug Peterson, you got to you got to protect the players from themselves. That's just something you know. Some guys will just go out and play hurt. We're seeing that with Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. Jake, I wouldn't be surprised if Doug Peterson gets fired at the end of the year. I, I wouldn't. Now, the running game isn't helping them either, Jake. They ran it 13 times for a grand total of 37 yards. Now, Trevor Lawrence, Jake, the one other thing that I've noticed with Trevor Lawrence is these fumbles have really started to show up more and more this year. I think he might lead the league in fumbles. He fumbled twice. He lost only one of them. But I I don't know how many fumbles it is, 
but it's got to be a lot now. And Jake, I think this defense is also being wasted because this defense, yeah, they gave up 30 points, but they are not as bad as you might think. They get hands on the ball. They, I think we're leading in takeaways for the longest time. They get hands on balls. They get a decent rush. I mean, Foisad, Aluakun, Jake, one of our favorite players, 12 total tackles, seven solo. He's top five in tackles. This defense has pieces, and I think Trevor Lawrence is still a franchise quarterback, but they need to figure out this offensive line, and they also need to just figure out what is going on with Trevor Lawrence. Is it the scheme? Is it him? I I think we're going to have a lot of answers to questions that we currently have in the offseason, at least I hope, because, Jake, the Jaguars should not be 8-7. and seven. We thought they would run away with this division because we did not expect C.J. Stroud to look half as good as he has, and somehow you have the Colts and Gardner Minshew Shane Steichen, Jake, we need to check Shane Steichen. I think he's got some voodoo magic in there. I think he some I think he took a trip to New Orleans and took some voodoo magic because there's no they have no business being eight and seven. Which, Jake, moving on to our second game. Uh we I this is my game. Uh the Raiders beating the Chiefs 20 to 14. And Jake, this is a game that makes no sense. If you told me that Aiden O'Connell would go 9 of 21 for 62 yards, two sack, get sacked twice, not throw a touchdown, and not throw a pick, and yet they would win this game, not to mention, Jake, Aiden O'Connell did not complete a pass out of the first quarter. They went three quarters without a completion. And yet the Raiders won 20 to 14 on a defense that, dare I say, has been one of the hottest units in the league. I mean, two defensive touchdowns, one by Jack Jones. Jake, Jack Jones is just having himself a hell of a, a hell of a year. And then a fumble return for a touchdown. I mean, Jake, what do you do? And this is also Malcolm Kuntz, three sacks on Mahomes. And then you also had Adam Butler who chipped one in. Max Crosby didn't have to do much. He had two total tackles and he had one tackle for loss. Outside of that, he, he, he was basically invisible. Now, granted, he did get decent pressure, but not really anything on the stat sheet. And Zamir White, Jake, I think Zamir White looked like what we hoped Josh Jacobs would look like after leading the league in rushing. 22 carries, 145 yards, including that 43-yard run that iced the game. Jake, what is going on with the Chiefs? They actually have a chance of losing the division. If they lose out and the Vegas wins out, your AFC West champions would be the Las Vegas Raiders. Figure that one out. A team yeah, with a losing it's... coach or, or with an interim coach. And Jake, if you could take anything away from this game, Antonio Pierce should be Antonio Pierce should get this job. I understand 
interim coach. You don't usually want to ride the high. You ride the high, but they usually won't last. But if you can coach a team with a quarterback who had a passer rating of 50 and win a game against arguably the best quarterback of this generation, that's got to mean something. Oh, easy. I think that if they make the same mistake and not hire this interim head coach like they didn't do with Rich Passaccia, then they got Josh McDaniels' dud ass. I think that they're going to be in a lot of trouble, and it's going to have Raiders fans be really pissed. But <laughs> You're going to have Raiders that players I love, pissed. Oh, yeah. The thing that I love is Aiden O'Connell was 9 for 21 with 62 yards, yep. yet they still won. And the thing you mentioned, Malcolm Coons, and I thank you for that because in the last two weeks, he has gotten three, five sacks and two forced fumbles. He has been playing his ass off these last two weeks, and I think you're finally seeing Crosby like, holy shit, I don't have to do everything um, when it comes to being a pass rusher. I finally have somebody that can maybe run with me. You're and a defensive I think he's player like, of the oh. year candidate. Yeah. But Mahomes, he's trying his damnedest with this team. But, I mean, you have a rookie wide receiver who is doing very good for a rookie wide receiver in Rasheed Rice. And you have Travis Kelsey, who is not doing so hot when it comes to dropping the ball. I mean, just the Chiefs receivers as a whole. It's just like, holy shit. They've probably lost three games just because of dropped passes maybe four if you kind of think about it and i think at the end of the day you're seeing the chiefs team not unravel but i still think they're going to win the division because if they lose the next two games i'd be amazed because they're going against the Bengals and the fucking chargers i can see the Bengals beating them but there's no way in hell an eastern stick led chargers should be able to beat a kansas city chiefs team unless the Chargers defense just comes out and plays like a bat out of hell. Other than that, the Raiders are doing mighty fine work, especially on their defense. Like Antonio Pierce is having this defense play lights out. And besides that, I mean, even if they don't win the division, you have a lot of hope Chargers fans going into next season because you'll probably trade up for a quarterback or stick and draft like, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix is kind of like your three you're going to get because you're not going to get Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Jaden Daniels. Those are like the 1A, 1B, and then like the barely off-shot 1C. But I think with Pierce having a better quarterback at the helm, even if he is a rookie, I would be excited because you have good receivers. Jacoby Myers is a damn good number two. Adams is still playing like a number one when he actually gets the ball. And, I mean, get a tight end in the offseason and go from there and see what happens. Other than that, congrats, Chiefs. You beat the Chiefs again. Yeah, congrats to the Raiders. Especially, Jake, the Chiefs also notable stat, Jake, with uh, Kansas City. If you look at the box score, what you'll see is not a single target to Kadarius Tony For... Kansas City, for all the crowing that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid did about the refs after that game, 
And then the following game. Interesting that he's for some reason was a ghost. It's just just, you know, figured I'd throw that out there. But Jake, I think for Kansas City, if they can get this defense going, if they can keep this defense playing as well they they played, because Jake, you had two defense you gave up two defensive touchdowns. And then after that, you gave up a grand total of six points. So offensively, you won 14 to 6. But you absolutely need these receivers for Kansas City, Jake, to step up. And if they don't, they're going to lose. There, There's a very real possibility, Jake. What if we saw Kansas City go one and done in the playoffs? I'm not ruling that out. Especially since Mahomes, every single play is having to scramble to try and find someone, to try and get someone open. Outside of Rasheed Rice, Jake, and Travis Kelsey, he does not trust a single receiver on this team. I do not care what he says. I do not care what Andy Reid says. It is evident if you watch the games. But Jake, moving on to your second game, and this is a game that is really... This was a very interesting game because I don't think either of us thought this would happen, but Cleveland beating Houston 36 to 22. Now I did pick Cleveland in this game, but I did not expect it to be by this much of a blowout, but we can explain that pretty straight away. And I'll let you do that. Jake, what were your thoughts on this game? Um, Joe Flacco is kicking ass as the oldest quarterback in the league. Um, and I'm pretty sure the NFL is pissed, especially talking about the Chiefs wide receiver problems. Man, if only they traded a fourth round pick for Amari Cooper. Oh, that is going to be one of the draft steals of this decade, in my opinion. They got Amari Cooper for a fifth round pick. And he is the first Browns receiver to have back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons. And he broke the franchise record for receiving yards in a game. Held by this Josh motherfucker. Gordon. Yeah. This motherfucker is cooking. <clears throat> he has shown that he is still a damn good receiver receiver threat. And it's not out of the question that Joe Flacco gets comeback player of the year. He is the betting favorite. So, and I understand that. DeMar Hamlin should win it because of him actually playing a single NFL snap because of what happened last year. But who knows what's going to happen, man. I think this, the tale of this game was Flacco doesn't need a fucking running game. <laughs> they ran the ball for 31 times for a total of 54 yards. And you're leading running back if Jerome Ford got 15 carries for 25 yards and a touchdown. The Texans run D is fucking fantastic. And they have been very good in the past defense until Amari Cooper said, fuck you, I'm kicking ass. And can we talk about how Joe Flacco has unleashed David Njoku? This is the best David Njoku has looked throughout his career so far. 
And who would have thought that it would have just taken a 38 and a half year old quarterback who actually loves having tight ends. Tell me. So, (laughs) and it's fucking amazing. And the Browns defense played phenomenal. Darius Smith played really good. You had Deron Harmon, who a lot of people probably thought was out of the league. And you had JOK with a pick. I mean, shit. You just utterly annihilated them on offense. I mean, Davis Mills, 15 for 32, 192 touchdowns. So, shitty accuracy, not great yards on the attempts. And Case Keenum, 11 for 17 for 62 yards and two picks. So you have, you'll have two passing touchdowns and two and you got two interceptions. I mean, besides that, you had De- you had Derek Singley still playing as a ball hawk, but I didn't watch the All-22. I might have to go back and look at that to see how often he was in coverage when it came to Amari Cooper. So I'll look at the all 22 for that and get back. But besides that, I bet Texans fans and this Texans coaching staff is very happy that CJ Sherratt has finally cleared concussion protocol and is more likely going to be playing this weekend. So (laughs) they're very happy about that. And I mean, the running attack for the Texans actually wasn't even that bad. It's just they didn't have the attempts. Because, well, they were down, so they couldn't run the ball, which, if you don't have TJ Stroud in there, eh, you kind of need that. But at the end of the day, it's literally the Joe Flacco to win four games is $2.5 million, is what they paid him. Wow. To win four games with Deshaun Watson, they paid him $230 million. I bet they're looking like a bunch of asshats right now. And... This is the all or nothing year for the Browns, ladies and gentlemen, because they put they restructured Deshaun Watson's contract for this year to only have about a $19.8 million cap hit. The next three years is about 63 to 64 million per year as a cap hit. So if you don't win it this year with Flacco, which hey, they're playing out of their fucking mind, dude. This defense is playing very good. I'm not ruling them out, but if they don't get it. Um, I think they should out the fucking head, not the head coach or the GM because they are phenomenal. I think they need to ax the fucking owner. If you could ax an owner, <laughs> you would, especially an owner that decided, oh, hey, that guy has a lot of lawsuits, fully guaranteed contract, which we had only ever done for one other quarterback, which was Kirk Cousins, but it was 28 mil a year, not 46 and Jake, the other thing is, so Amari Cooper, Jake, became the only the second player to have a 200-yard receiving game with three different teams, joining only Terrell Owens. That's pretty good company to be in. Now, Jake, it looks like one of his touchdowns was against Derek Stingley, so... You can already guess that Stingley wasn't too happy that he gave up a touchdown. So, I mean, a prick at least somewhat makes up for it, but eh. Now, Jake, another story is you had mentioned this Houston Texans defense, which has been playing really, really well. And like you said, the run defense was absolutely stout. But they got a grand total of one sack. And it wasn't even on Joe Flacco. 
it was on Dorian Thompson Robinson, who went one of two for six yards. Now, Jake, I think this game really comes down to the Texans are a different team completely without CJ Stroud, obviously, because he is a franchise quarterback. Davis Mills, we saw him last year. He's not very good. And not to mention, Jake, I think when it comes down to it, what you actually need is you basically need to build this O-line a little bit better around C.J. Stroud. They've been missing like three or four offensive linemen for the entire year. You need guys to be able to protect your quarterback because, like you said, he is cleared to compete in Week 17, it looks like. They're going to need him because, again, they're 8-7. and They still have a chance to win their division. And if not, if they had been able to win this game, that would have gone a long way to really showing them as a potential threat to make some noise in the playoffs. Maybe not get to the Super Bowl, but at least make some noise, maybe upset a team like a Cleveland that we now have high hopes for because of Joe Flacco. On the Browns side, Jake, Tell me about it with David Njoku. I have him in fantasy, and he has been carrying me. He's been doing what I was hoping George Kittle would do, but obviously not. But I think what also we've seen, Jake, is Joe Flacco. He's willing to chuck it deep down the field, which was something that it seemed like Deshaun Watson was hesitant to. Now, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I don't expect literally anything from him because of the fact that, well, he's a rookie. And he's very, very raw. But what we're seeing, Jake, is Joe Flacco has that magic to him. And the Cleveland Browns actually are scary a little bit when it comes to the playoffs. Because this is what we expect from Joe Flacco in the playoffs. Having seen that during that Super Bowl run. Where he just played like a bat out of hell. And he beat Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and... He ended up beating the Niners when Colin Kaepernick was running all over the league. I think that was in that year, that was the year that Colin Kaepernick threw for like 200 and ran for almost 200 against your Packers, which Don't was... remind me. Yeah, I know. Had to just sneak that little jab in there. But... Bastard. Jake... <laughs> but, Jake, also, Cleveland's defense, we have said... They are, they've been on a historic pace. And Miles Garrett, Jake, this was a game where also he didn't really have to do that much. Now, obviously, he did get pressures and he did have two tackles for loss, but Zadarius Smith, two sacks. Alex Wright added a sack. Like you mentioned, JOK with a pick, Deron Harmon with a pick. What we're seeing, Jake, is Cleveland actually looks complete. Their only real bugaboo, outside of obviously not being able to have a great and consistent run game, is Flacco's turnovers. But if he's able to throw three touchdowns and this defense is able to play consistently how they are, good luck facing the Browns and good luck beating the Browns. But I will say this, Jake, also keep an eye out for Houston because they are by no means out of it at all all they still have a chance to win their division and it's probably going to come down to week 18 when they face i believe the colts but jake 
Moving on to our final game of the recap. This was our shared game, Ravens Niners, and a game that we thought would be hard hitting, maybe come down to like a field goal. Not the case at all. Baltimore absolutely housed San Fran 33 to 19. And Jake, the game was not that close. I rem if you remember the score though, Jake, it was like 16 to 12. And then the Ravens get a 17 point barrage, just put the game away. Brock Purdy, Jake, had his worst game of his career. 18 of 32, 255, four picks, and no touchdowns. <clears throat> his QBR was eight. His passer rating, 42.6. He, he looked like Mr. Irrelevant. Now, what hurt him as well is his MVP teammate, Christian McCaffrey, he had a pretty damn good game. 14 carries, 103 yards, and a touchdown, and he contributed six catches and 28 yards in the passing game. Jake, you know you played bad when Sam Darnold went 8 for 14 for 81 yards, a touchdown, and a pick, and he played better than you. Now, granted, Brock Purdy ended up getting knocked out of this game with a shoulder shot, and Shanahan... I think wanted to hold him out because he decided we have bigger games than this right now. We don't need you to get hurt. We're going to need you later. But Jake, this game started off with a safety for the Niners. They were up two nothing. And then the Ravens basically did whatever they wanted. Lamar 23 of 35 for 252 and two touchdowns, no picks. And he also ran it seven times for 45 yards. Jake, I think the best way to describe this game is you have a defense like San Francisco where they make people look, they humiliate teams. They humiliate quarterbacks and they just destroy entire offenses. Lamar Jackson destroyed this defense because I have never seen pass rushers rush basically up where they don't try and attack the quarterback, they try and just contain him, and yet Lamar basically had all the time in the world. I mean, he got sacked twice, but that was once on a Javon Hargrave god-tier rush, and then a combined pocket collapse with Randy Gregory and Chase Young. Outside of that, there was really nothing to write home about for this defense. And you had Fred Warner, Jake. We love Fred Warner. He basically was sitting back and trying to spy Lamar, and yet he just couldn't. He, what he basically what he was doing is he was trying to keep an eye on Lamar, but if you give Lamar a crease, he's different. Lamar is now twenty and one against NFC teams, Jake. That that is now the best record to start a career beating Ken Stabler. Now, Kenny Stabler, the snake, was a really good quarterback. Hall of Famer. I think when you look at Lamar Jake, he has to be the MVP favorite now in this in the league. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey's fantastic. We will see about Tyreek Hill. I think you and I are still of the mindset that if he is able to get 
2,000 yards, he probably should win it. But, Jake, while Lamar's stats don't scream at you, I have to ask you, are the Ravens the best team in the NFL, and is it even any close? Is it any close? So, to answer that question, you had to you had the best team in the NFC go against the best team in the AFC in this game, and you had a Baltimore Ravens defense shut out almost a very dangerous San Francisco offense. If it wasn't for Christian McCaffrey in the running game, this game would have looked a lot fucking different, even worse than what it did. So, yeah, I would say Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the NFL. San Fran's still number two, in my opinion, but Ravens are the clear number one right now, heading into the almost the playoffs. As long as a drastic injury doesn't happen at this point, you're seeing this Ravens team be dangerous as shit. The thing that I love is he's dive, he's throwing the ball to different receivers. You have Zay Flowers, who had the three times more catches than the next guy with nine catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. The rookie's coming on strong in this last half of the season. And I think the big play that people aren't going to talk about, there's two of them. The first one was when... Lamar Jackson said, fuck you, and rushed for almost 30 yards on a single attempt. And you mentioned Fred Warner being spy. Yeah, he got Fred Warner on that one. And I think the one that a lot of people aren't going to talk about is the Gus Edwards going down the seam on a, I think, a wheel route for 39 yards. And imagine if that was Keaton Mitchell on that catch. He would have taken that to the house. Oh, yeah. But you're seeing... Lamar diversify the ball, which I love seeing. He has a damn good receiving core, finally. And you're seeing just this defense play lights out. Kyle Hamilton probably had almost a play of the year type pick when he got flattened on his ass. I'm thinking like, oh shit, he got knocked out. He gets back up, sees the ball in the air, and picks it off. Yo, dude, that was a mean ass pick. I was like, "Oh shit!" That's when you know you're okay. Living, right? Yeah, that's Kyle Hamilton right there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, welcome to what we call the Ravens' uh, safety core of Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, and Geno Stone. They're gonna give you the middle finger and either hit you, pick you, or kill your quarterback. So. But on the Niners, you said it best. This was Purdy's worst game so far in his young career. I think he will bounce back. He is a very resilient kid. He just happened to face a Ravens defense that is a thrashing machine. I mean, shit, we saw what they did to the Lions earlier in the year. This Ravens team is just thrashing teams that they are supposed to that Shit, they're thrashing teams when it comes to top-end talent. They thrash the Lions. They, I wouldn't say Seattle the top-end talent but still a pretty good team. They thrashed them and they thrashed the fucking Niners. You thrashed two of the four best teams in the NFC and you're doing pretty good in the AFC too. So it's like, well, shit. I think one stat line before we go on to something else, Dre Greenlaw had two total tackles for himself, but 10 assists. 
That is just a stat I laugh at because that's freaking phenomenal. He that means he was just getting there as a second person and just finishing shit. But, but before before we go. move on, Jake, what I do want to bring up though is if you remember last week, I did talk about how I did think one thing that you did see from the Cardinals against Sam Fran is you can run the ball on them. The, uh, the Ravens were able to run it only 26 times for 102 yards, and they did get a touchdown. Now, granted, 45 of that was Lamar, but what we're seeing is that this defense, even with Javon Hargrave, they are susceptible to mobile quarterbacks, and I believe that Jacoby Brissett is going to be playing for the Commanders this upcoming week, and we know he's that actually Jacob- out. He's out, so it'll probably be Sam Howell then. But yes. Sam Howell can move a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of Sam Howell moving around with the ball. I'm not going to say they upset him because I highly doubt that. Their defense is the worst in the league by a mile. But I would just say keep your eye on that game. It could be really interesting because of the fact that I don't, I can't say for certain that the Niners are what we thought they would be, which was virtually unbeatable. I think that there could be a real possibility, Jake. Say you face, if the Lions face the Niners, I'm not completely ruling out that the Lions could beat the Niners. But Jake, we can touch on the Thursday night football game a couple days ago real quick, which was the rate. Or, excuse me, the Browns and the Jets taking on each other. And Jake, this was a weird game because you had 50 plus points combined in the first half. And then you had a grand total of six points in the second half. Two field goals by each team. Huh? Now, Jake, Trevor Simeon's nothing to write home about. We know he's a backup. 32 of 45, 261, a touchdown and a pick. Brees Hall had a very solid game. 13 carries for 84 yards. And he also caught nine balls for 42 and a touchdown. Led the team in catches, second in targets behind Garrett Wilson. Jake, the Jets are the Jets are an interesting team because I don't really know what they're supposed to do. Their defense has sort of regressed a little bit in that you gave up 37 to Joe Flacco, which is not great considering the fact that, well, granted, now Cleveland did get a pick six. So did the Jets, Jermaine Johnson, which we usually look at him as more of a pass rusher. He had a nice 37-yarder, and Ronnie Hickman for the Browns had a 30-yard pick six. But Jake, my question to you for this game, because... I don't think we really want to spend too much time on it because in the second half, it was a snooze fest. What do the Jets do from here, Jake? Because in my mind, you have two massive needs. You need a left tackle because Makai Becton, Jake, is becoming just penalty galore and he's just playing bad. But you also need a quarterback because I don't think Aaron Rodgers is the best solution. And I think there's a chance he gets hurt. And Zach Wilson's not going to be here next year. 
I don't see you wanting to bring back Trevor Simeon. And I think we were talking before this broadcast because Simeon's going to be out. Zach Wilson's going to be out. And Aaron Rodgers, obviously, is a liar and is not going to play. They're going to be starting Brett Rippon, who we have seen this year, and he's abysmal. What do the Jets do looking to the offseason? I mean, when it comes to looking to the offseason, I would think being 6-10, and 10, I'm trying to find what draft pick they currently have, but I know they have a top 10 at this point. And because of that... I think they need to look at either potentially getting, I hate to say it because I do love Aaron Rodgers as a player, but if you can get Jaden Daniels, if he falls to you, get him. If not, I would say get Alanu or Olufushanu or Joe Alt as your future left tackle. Because you said it best, Mikai Becton, he was great his rookie year, but I think injuries are starting to really kick his ass. And because of that, it's like, well, sorry, dude, we're giving up on you because you can't stay healthy. You have a weight problem, almost as bad as freaking Cheeseburger Eddie did. And you just can't, you're inconsistent. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if you want Aaron Rodgers to live and try to make a push, you take the left tackle, but if you want to build for the future, you take the quarterback, then you take a tackle in the second, and then you take a receiver. Or let's say you get Roma Dunze or the neighbor's kid out of LSU. That falls to you. I think you could make an argument for taking one of those receivers over Joe Alt because... Without Garrett Wilson, you'd be fucked. I mean, the fact that Wilson has over a thousand yards on the year with this quarterback carousel, wow, just shows how great of a receiver he is. I actually didn't know he had a thousand yards. Yeah. So I think your running back situation is fine. I like Brees Hall and Israel Abatakanda as your first and second. Maybe draft a running back late in the draft. And get some help for Garrett Wilson or get protection for Aaron Rodgers if you want to go all in on 2024 or draft for the future, then get help for Rodgers in the later rounds. That's what I would do. But to make it short and sweet, Flacco is playing out of his damn mind. If it wasn't for that tip pass that Jermaine Johnson got, he probably wouldn't have a pick on the game. 19 for 29, 309, three touchdowns in that one pick. The running game, they did enough. They ran it for 28 total attempts for a little over 120 yards. So you can live with that, averaging a little over four carry. And I think that Jerome Ford is kind of the unsung hero besides Flacco in this team because he's come in and been a damn good receiving threat and been a very good, efficient running back since Nick Chubb got injured. And like we discussed earlier, David Njoku has been playing out of his mind. Even with Amari Cooper not playing this game, he still got six catches for 134 yards. Like, what the fuck? And I think kind of the unsung hero on defense was Sion Taki Taki. 
motherfucker got 16 total tackles, 11 solo, and 5 assists. That's saying something. This Browns defense is kind of like how we talked about with the Ravens defense. They're fierce. They can get to the quarterback. They have a damn good secondary, and their linebackers are fast and mean. So, I mean, this team's going to go as far as Flacco can take them, but you said it best. Playoff Flacco is what Flacco's looking like right now. If he can continue to play off like playoff Flacco, I wouldn't say a Super Bowl, but AFC Championship, if not getting damn close to winning a divisional game, is not out of the picture. It, it, it really isn't. Now, I'm very curious about what we're going to see, Jake, as far as, um, as far as the Jets go in the offseason because I understand also potentially needing a receiver, but at the same time, Jake, if I've never seen a quarterback complete a pass on his back. I think if it's me, if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm taking the best tackle in the league in the draft by far because it's not like you can really trade for a good tackle. If people had tackles to trade, then they're either not very good or their their GM is on crack. You're not or giving up a step good in tra- here. tackle. Or you're going to trade two first-round picks and a shit ton of stuff for a Laramie Tunsil type, which you don't want to trade your future when we don't know if Rodgers, one, can stay healthy, and two, if he's not going to retire next year. Exactly. <clears throat> so if it's me... I'm drafting a tackle. If you want, you can look for a quarterback, but I just don't really trust that because of the fact that you're not going to be in a position to get one of the better ones. I think you'd be better off looking in maybe the second round. Who knows? Maybe Riley Leonard, if he's available, maybe pick him up. But overall, Jake, this game, it's it was kind of a nothing burger for me. I guess one little nugget to keep in mind, Cleveland is 8-1 and one at home. I believe right now they would be the fifth seed. So not out of the realm of possibility for them to, by some miracle, end up with home field. If a team did have to go to the dog pound, beware. But Jake, we're going to real quick touch on the game that just ended, which was Cowboys-Lions. And Jake, stop me if you've heard this before. A Cowboys-Lions game ended with controversy. It's almost like we've seen this before in the playoffs. And just like last time, the Cowboys end up getting away with, honestly, kind of a BS call. Now, granted, they did, they now, I believe they finish uh, 8-0 at home on the season. I don't think their next game is at home, so, hey, if you finish the season with a home with a perfect home record, that's pretty good. Now, Dak Prescott, Jake, did play very well. 26 of 38 for 345, two touchdowns. Did have a pick, which you never want, especially when it comes to Dak, because whenever he throws picks, they seem to come in bunches. But this run game was non-existent, Jake, because CeeDee Lamb had another hell of a day. This time, when he had a monster first quarter, they did not, they didn't shy away from him. 17 targets, 13 catches, 227 yards, and a touchdown, which 
came off a 92-yard play where Dak actually did have to scramble. It was a beautiful play. But Jake, I think as far as Dallas goes, this is a very interesting thing where I don't really think if Dallas and Detroit played again, even in Dallas, I don't know if I'd take Dallas because of the fact that one off of an illegal touching penalty that could be quite controversial. And you only got one sack. This vaunted Cowboys defense. You got one sack from Dorrance Armstrong. Now you hit Goff seven times, so you did get at least consistent pressure. Whereas Aiden Hutchinson, Jake, three sacks. They also got seven quarterback hits. which And Aiden Hutchinson had five of them. I think overall, Jake... Detroit, I don't take too much away from them, but what I would be worried about is Jared Goff does have to get his pick problem under control. 19-34, to 34, 271, and he did have a touchdown, but two picks you cannot have, especially in games like this. Now, the running game was fantastic, which lets us know that Dallas can, have, can be run on. I mean... David Montgomery, 14 for 65 and a touchdown. Jameer Gibbs, 15 for 43. And he also contributed one... Oh, he had one catch for nothing. But David Montgomery didn't contribute much either. And Jake, Sam Laporta, your guy, 7 for 84. He's a top five tight end. But Jake, what were your thoughts? Um, I think that the Zebras really like fucking with the Lions. Because it messes up the natural order of things in the animal kingdom. But enough joking aside, the refs really have it out for the Lions. And as a Packers fan, I've seen that go my way in quite a few different games. Some were very meaningful. Some, not so much. <clears throat> Can the Lions catch a fucking break, man? Like, holy shit. No. I, I want the Lions to actually have a break. And because of that, they got fucked. But... <sighs> I mean, you kind of said it best that the aggressiveness from the head coach of Dan being Dan Campbell, it has its ups and downs. Like, okay, you got fucked on the first play to win the game. Don't go for it again. Kick the field, kick the extra point so it's tied up, take it to OT, probably have a good chance of winning. Besides that, uh, I think that the team played good. Goff, you said it best. He needs to figure his shit out. And I actually just looked at it. CeeDee Lamb is now the receiving leader in the NFL. Now, granted, Tyreek Hill hasn't played a game this week. So Tyreek Hill will probably take that back. But CeeDee Lamb is 122 receptions for 1,651 yards and 10 touchdowns. If it wasn't for Mike Evans having 13 touchdowns and Tyreek having 12, he could be a triple crown receiver. And that is saying a lot for the kid. He is going to get paid when he's time when his contract comes up. So, at the end of the day, you got a new number 1, you got another 88 Dallas. You kind of knew it before the season, you really know it now. I do want to dip in real quick, Jake. Go for it. I will, my counterpoint to that, though, and obviously CeeDee Lamb is a phenomenal receiver, but I think what you also have to keep in mind, though, is Brandon Cooks is not the 
quality of receiver of Jalen Waddle or Chris Godwin. We love Brandon Cooks because you and I both know that he's a walking thousand yard receiver everywhere he goes, but there is a reason also he's been on five different teams. The Saints traded him, the Patriots traded him, the Rams traded him, and then Houston traded him. Either the guy just either the guy just performs so well that teams want to get rid of him, or he's got a problem. I have no clue, but Jalen Waddle, he's a lot better. And I would take Chris Godwin over Brandon Cooks. So there's a reason why CeeDee Lamb does have all of these stats. And it's because, well, he's all they got. You're not wrong. <clears throat> but, Jake, I think what you were wanting to move on to was our middle segment. And it was the big news that we had, I believe it was Thursday, which is Sean Payton benching Russell Wilson for the last two games of the 2023 season due to financial flexibility. Now, Jake, I'm going to let you go first because uh, when I go, I am not going to stop. Okay. So before you go on your tirade, I'll try to make mine a little shorter. So from a financial standpoint, it makes sense because if he gets injured, you have a $35.7 million guarantee to pay Russ next year. And because of that, you'd have to keep him on for the next two years. Because if you pay him in 2024, you don't have an out till the end of the 2025 season. So from a financial standpoint, I number being me being a numbers guy, I see it. But you paid Russell Wilson and traded a phenomenal haul to get him. Played like shit his first year. He is playing like a top 10 quarterback in this NFL season with 26 touchdowns, eight picks, and three rushing touchdowns. He has more total touchdowns than Mahomes and a lieu of other top quarterbacks. Now, his passing yards, not the highest, but I mean, he's efficient with the ball. That's all you need him to be. This is the quarterback that they wanted when they traded for him. A quarterback that can be good in the rushing attack in short area yardages, can pick up first downs and rushing touchdowns when need to be. He's smart with the football. He's going to hit his guys. And that's about it. But Sean Payton is having a fucking ego trip. Because the way he said was, oh, I can't just bring up all new. I can't get an all a pretty much a brand new receiving core and a brand new offensive line. I'm like, motherfucker. The guy you were who was your quarterback is playing pretty good ball. Like I said earlier, he's playing like a top 10 quarterback. That's all you want. And for you to do the injustice of this, it's bullshit. And that's me as a fan and Seattle being my second favorite team. So I followed Russell Wilson my his entire career. I love the guy. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. Shit, honestly, I think he's higher up than Aaron Rodgers because of how much of a how much of a good human being Russell Wilson is. At the end of the day, financial standpoint, I can see it. But from a human and a NFL and an analyst standpoint, I fucking hate it. You still have a chance to make the playoffs slim, but still, your defense is playing phenomenal. Your offense is being good enough to win games. 
Fucking start him and don't be a fucking cockbite. You you go. Well, I mean, first off, I echo all of your sentiments. I understand it financially because of the fact that you already owe him $39 million. And like you said, I believe it's 35.7 if he does get hurt. Now, I will say I will start with a little bit of objectivity. My issue with this is mainly due to the fact of what it sends to your locker room that you are basically punting on the rest of this season where you absolutely could make the playoffs. Now you have a 5% chance you need a lot of help, but we did see a couple years ago where Miami was going to make the playoffs. They had like a 90% chance and they missed. Every single thing went wrong for them. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could actually make the playoffs. If I'm Sean Payton, what I see is that he has a specific way to run his offense. Now, it is very archaic where it is we tell the quarterback what to do and the quarterback does it, nothing more, nothing less. And what I don't think Sean Payton fails to realize is if you look at all of the quarterbacks leading the their divisions and playing incredible, what do they have in common, Jake? Mobility. Even Jared Goff. Jared Goff is not Lamar Jackson in terms of mobility, but we've seen Jared Goff take off and run, and he can actually run with it. What Sean Payton is thinking, he's a Bill Parcells guy, which is iron fist, call out everyone, not be afraid to be confrontational. And Russ is a very optimistic guy. He's very much a, he's a never say die, where Sean Payton is a, more of a straight shooter. <clears throat> I think what it comes down to is Sean Payton doesn't understand football quite what he should. This is a guy who marched out Taysom Hill as a viable option. A guy who marched out Teddy Bridgewater, which Teddy Bridgewater as a rookie and his second year was solid, but he was very conservative with the ball, very dink and dunk. Russ's deep shots. Sean wants intermediate it and short passes. Russ is improv deep ball. This was a match made in hell, but I will say this with Sean Payton. What the fuck is with you calling out your players? And also just what is with you verbally undressing your quarterback, a Super Bowl quarterback, a guy who went to two Super Bowls, should be undefeated in Super Bowls. A guy who has been a Pro Bowler, what, 10 times? A guy who somehow has never had an MVP vote. And a guy who has been consistently a top 10 quarterback, at one point considered a top 5 quarterback. A guy of that caliber should not be verbally undressed on the sidelines, on national TV, on a play that it didn't look like he did anything wrong. Why is a false start or an offsides on the offense by a lineman Russ's fault? How does that make sense? And guess what? You guys still scored a touchdown. You scored three different times. Two of them you could have challenged and you didn't. I think what it comes down to, Jake, is I do think Russ will find a team. Now, it's looking like they will cut him. I don't think he's going to be traded because he does still have a no-trade clause, and I don't think he'll waive that for just any old team. 
Russ wants to win. And I think that what we saw with Sean Payton is that while he wasn't the one that picked Russ, he did pick the team that Russ was on. Which means you had to have believed in him and you had to know going in that what Russ had. Now, Nat Hackett was a hack. But like you said, look at Russ's stats. He's got 26 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and he has 3 rushing touchdowns in an offense that you have basically stifled him in. You basically made him a participant, not even a quarterback. You made him a cheerleader. Because you relied so heavily on Javante Williams, Samaj P. Ryan. Hell, you were have you wanted Adam Troutman over Greg Dulcich. Now, granted, Dulcich was hurt, but he was expected to be a third stringer because you brought in Adam Troutman. I I can't I can't really verbalize exactly what I want to say, Jake, without potentially getting our podcast canceled. But I will just end it with this. I do think that this is going to put a massive spotlight on Sean Payton. You you wanted this. This was your decision. And you can say, oh, I don't make the personnel decisions. No, this was your choice. The GM is not the GM. You have personnel control. Almost certainly. You would not have taken that job if you didn't. I wouldn't be surprised, Jake, if we see the GM gone at the end of the year. And I think that Sean Payton, if you're going to move off of Russ, you better be right. And you better make this team a playoff contender and a Super Bowl contender. Otherwise, you're going to look like the biggest ass on the fucking planet. But Jake, moving on to something a little bit more positive, let's move on to our Eyes on 5 predictions for week 17 now jake let's go on with your first game what are you going to be keeping your eyes on so my first game is the pittsburgh steelers versus the seattle seahawks both these teams are fighting for a shot out of a wild card spot so you could see both these teams fighting out like how it happened in super bowl 40 hopefully the rest don't get involved this time and rig the game (laughs) sorry to bring up bad memory yeah So the Pittsburgh Steelers are starting Mason Rudolph over Kenny Pickett. And Mike Tomlin is riding the hot hand. That is the best way I've said it put. Because Mason Rudolph last week played fucking phenomenal coming off the bench. It's like, okay, let's see if he can keep this up and push us into the playoffs. Then we'll decide quarterback. But the Steelers are just looking to keep Tomlin's record of most wins over 500 for seasons alive. Cause I think that's what they're fighting for at this point. Cause they're, they'd get pounced in the playoffs facing 90% of teams. In my opinion, they don't have the depth. Their offense is shaky. There's some games where they look phenomenal, where George Pickens looks like a fucking world beater. And then there's some games where it's just like, is Matt Canada still here? And their defense is good. I love their defense. But your cornerbacks outside of your rookie and Joey Porter Jr. is shit. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, if he doesn't come back as your star free safety, you're fucked. TJ Watt is playing his ass off, man. 
And the fact he's only third in betting odds for uh, Defensive Player of the Year is bullshit, in my opinion. But moving on to the Seattle Seahawks, <clears throat> Geno Smith is more likely going to start this game over Drew Locke because I think Geno's going to be healthier than what he was the last week. And because of that, you could see Geno play like a vet quarterback. I don't. I think last year was a pipe dream for him to happen this year, this late to the season. He can have games, but I don't know if he can have multiple games to connect because he's regressed from last year, and we've said that in this podcast in the past few weeks, bringing up Seattle Seahawks games. You need Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet to do damn good work in the running game, set up a play-action game, try to hit intermediate to deep to Jackson Smith and Jigba and to Tyler Lockett. Now, apparently, from what I am seeing, DK Metcalf might be out for this game. Let me see if I can pull that up, because holy shit, their injury list is really bad. Yeah, he is questionable, leaning more to out. Devin Witherspoon, questionable with a hip. Kenneth Walker, shoulder and illness. Uh, Who else? Frank Clark just got released, so good luck with that. Jamal Adams got put on season-ending IR, so he probably won't be in a Seahawks uniform next year, in my opinion. And Jordan Brooks is questionable as well. And so your receiving core is Jake Bobo, who we absolutely love. He is a fan favorite. Jackson Smith and Jigbo, who's been coming on the last couple weeks. And Tyler Lockett. I like that receiving core, but I'd like it a hell of a lot more if DK was in that. So, oh, I absolutely would, too. With that in mind, this is going to be a very weird game. I don't even know if I can pick a winner for this game and feel 100% confident in it because you have massive injuries on Seattle's side and you got a couple key players on the um, Steelers' side that are still out. And if they are playing, there's quite a few players on that Steelers' team that aren't fully healthy. So you could see... I kind of call it an injury bowl because that is the best way to put this. Oh, absolutely. And Jake, not to mention, I think, yeah, Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be out of this game. He is still dealing with, I believe it was a. It's yes, a knee injury. It's a knee. Yeah, it was a knee injury. But Jake, I think what this game is going to come down to is. Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt, which is how most Steelers games come down to. Those two have combined for 24 sacks. Now, TJ Watt has 17 of them, but Alex Highsmith with seven sacks, he's no pushover and he gets consistent rushes. This is going to come down to can this offensive line protect Geno Smith? Because when we last saw Geno, he played pretty decent against the Niners. And he's not a I don't look at him as a, I guess, bad quarterback, but, or excuse me, last time we saw Gino was against the Cowboys, where they had a real chance of winning that game. Honestly, I think they should have won that game, but Jake, I think what it's going to come down to as far as Gino is, can he keep his turnovers down? He has nine picks this year, which, and his picks have always come in bunches where he'll have two in one game. Then he'll have another, then he'll have three in one game, and then he'll have one, and then he'll have one, and then he'll have two. It, it's That's usually how it goes with Geno. 
if he can keep this ball safe, which if since Minka's out and Joey Porter Jr.'s only your most consistent ball hawk, Patrick <sighs> Peterson might make a play here or there. But I think that's what it's going to come down for, to for Seattle. Limiting turnovers and not forcing anything, especially with DK out, you're going to see a lot more Jackson Smith than Jigba, maybe a little bit more Colby Parkinson. Jake, for the Steelers, though, they got to get this run game going. Najee Harris is averaging less than four yards a carry, and Jalen Warren has been your spark. I think what it's going to come down to is if they can get this run game going and open up the play-action game, get Bobby Wagner and those linebackers to bite on the fake, you'll have George Pickens and Deontay Johnson running scot-free. If Devin Witherspoon is out, you're going to be looking at probably Michael Jackson, who is a solid corner, but we've seen him get burnt plenty of times. Devin Witherspoon is a much, much better player than Michael Jackson even though he's pretty solid. Jake, Seattle's favored by four. Now they are at home where they're five and two. So I do think that is something to take into consideration. I really don't know. Like you said, I don't think there's really a team that you pick with confidence. I think Seattle at four is a little bit of a big number, but I'd probably stay away from it. But Jake, moving on to my first game, and I'm going to be keeping my eyes on the, I believe, I had it written down here. Bengals and Chiefs? Yes, Bengals and Chiefs. I think this game, Jake, is going to be a, now, this would be a, another potential game of the year candidate where if we had Joe Burrow playing, we would be seeing the two best quarterbacks in the league facing off. Alas, it is Jake Browning. And Jake Browning had a rough game last week. He looked pretty mediocre. He looked like a backup. I think, Jake, as far as Kansas City goes, their offense has been so weird that I don't really know what you do with them. Where, uh, like I said, Kadarius Tony didn't even play. So I don't think we'll see him. I don't think we'll see him in this game either because you're basically trying to make sure you win the division and that starts with just winning this game. If you win this game, I believe you clinch the division, you're fine. I'm not ruling out though the possibility that they lose. Actually, Kadarius Tony is out, he's injured, which honestly might be a blessing in disguise. But Jake, Isaiah Pacheco, he's questionable and so is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So without them, you're going to be relying on Jarek McKinnon. And I so to bring up one to other that, guy. Pacheco actually has been cleared of concussion protocol and he is good to start. Okay. So you will have Pacheco, <laughs> but I mean, at what capacity we, that's what I'm going to be curious about. Now for the Bengals, Jamar chase is questionable with that shoulder injury. He didn't play last week and we saw how that worked out for him. If he plays this week, I think you can have better success, especially with Legereus Sneed, also questionable, Jake, dealing with a calf injury. But I think if the Bengals want to win this, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record. They need to run the ball. Joe Mixon has been playing pretty solid overall. And if they get this run game established, again, play action. Jake Browning, when he was at Washington, 
had a solid run game, which then allowed him to throw it deep to John Ross and Dante Pettis. Let him have a play-action game, and you will see that this game could get a little bit high-scoring. Now, Jake, KC is favored by 6.5, which I think Kansas City, with big lines, I would probably take the Bengals just because of the fact that I mean, they were favored by 11 and a half against the Raiders last week, and we saw how that worked out. But Jake, what are your thoughts on this game? So you said it best. If the Bengals want to beat the Chiefs, they have to run the ball, and Joe Mixon has to be on his A game. Because even though the Chiefs are susceptible to the run game, Steve Spagnuolo in that defense is not going to allow them to run all over them, whether they like it or not. So that O-line... For the Bengals has to target the key players, stop them, run it up the gap, or do outside zone. And because of that, I need to see Joe Mixon do his stuff and maybe even see one of their other running backs chip in when Joe kind of slows down a little bit because he's only had two games over 20 attempts in the rushing side of things. Chase Brown. That being, yep. Chase Brown is explosive as shit. He can hit that outside edge, and he's damn good in the receiving game. Bring him in as your third down back and see what happens. If he doesn't do good, okay, keep Joe in the game. But you have to experiment to beat this defense. This is the only reason the Chiefs are staying in games is Steve Spagnuolo and this very very admirable and intense Chiefs defense. They're playing like a top three unit. So with that in mind, I think that if Mahomes continues with his worries of his receivers not catching things, and the Bengals still have a damn good defense inside their own, Lou Anarumo is still playing like a top five defensive coordinator, even without um, a couple of his players. I mean, you're down Jalen Davis, who's your one of your de- who's one of your slots, and. I mean, you can't afford to have injuries because Mahomes will take advantage even if his receivers drop it. So at the end of the day, it's going to be, can the Bengals run the ball, and is Jamar Chase going to play or not? It really is. Now, Jake, if I told you back in September that we would be talking about the Bengals' defense and the Chiefs' defense other th- rather than uh, Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, what would you have said? I pretty much would have said that, like, I could see that being a case because of how damn good their defenses and their defensive coordinators are. But I would have thought you were slightly high because I would have been more believing that it would have been Joe Burrow and Joe, and Patrick Mahomes keeping this, these teams in, not their defenses. Exactly. Uh, welcome to the Twilight Zone of 2023 going into 2024. Jake, let's move on to your second game. What do you got? So my second game is going to be another game that has decent playoff implications, and that is the Las Vegas Raiders versus the Indianapolis Colts. I think this game could be very interesting because you have Gardner Minshew playing pretty decent. He's still top five or top seven in turnover-worthy plays, And we all know how Gardner Minshew is. He's a gunslinger. He's going to throw the ball up and hope his receivers get it. Let's hope he doesn't get Michael Pittman killed again. 
because that was a nasty shot by DeMonte Casey when they played the Steelers. But I think this is going to be more of a defensive battle more than anything because you have a very good defense in, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, in the Raiders. Because Antonio Pierce is having them play lights out and getting to the ball quick and getting takeaways and getting sacks. I think they're tied for sixth place since week nine in sacks. And that was one of our biggest scrutinies of this Raiders team halfway through the season before Josh McDaniels got fired was you're getting okay pressure, but your sack count is shit. They've turned that around. Pierce is making this defense look like a top 10 unit, which When's the last time you thought we'd ever say Raiders had a top 10 defense? The prime Khalil Mack days, Adam? Yeah, it would be Khalil Mack basically dominating with Jack Del Rio as the head coach and having a hand on the defense. Exactly. And I think the unsung hero for this Raiders defense is Robert Spillane. Love him. I really. Oh, yeah, he's fucking phenomenal. He got signed in the offseason. I was thinking, like, okay, good linebacker depth. He can be a good starter. Nothing special. But the motherfucker is playing like a maybe a top five metal linebacker. Top seven at worst, in my opinion. Because he's been all over the ball. He's been consistent in coverage, which that was the biggest gripe I had with Spillane. He was like a Blake Martinez. See ball, hit ball. When it came to pass coverage, not that great. He's turned that around this year, and I think he's going to get a good contract from the Raiders. If not, go somewhere else in free agency. You could see him even being a prime uh, franchise tag candidate, which if you would have told me at the beginning of the year Robert Spillane would have been a franchise tag candidate, I'd been like, what the fuck? Dude, where can I get the alcohol that you're drinking? Or what shrooms are you on? At the end of the day, I think Aiden O'Connell just... I mean, shit, nine for 21 and 65 yards against the Chiefs, and they still fucking won against that quarterback and that head coach combo. Shane Sykin is playing out of as having his team play out of their fucking mind without Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor being fully healthy. So it's like, okay, off to the races, folks. I think, like I said earlier, this is going to be more of a defensive struggle. But hey, man, I've said that before earlier this season. It's been a fucking shootout. That's true. Now, Jake. You're right, this does have massive playoff implications because of the fact that both these teams need it for either wildcard or division. As I said earlier, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Raiders somehow clinch the division or end up winning the division if the Chiefs lose out and they win out. This is a massive start for that. And all I will say is if I'm the Raiders... I would do everything that I could to control things. I don't want to be relying on other teams when if I do what I do and then I don't get it, oh well, that sucks. But if I I absolutely if I'm the Raiders, this is a must-win game regardless if you make the playoffs or not. Now, Jake, right now though, the, the Colts do not control their destiny. Now, if they, it's going to come down to week 18 with the Texans, where if they win there and they finish with a better record than the Jaguars, they win the AFC South. Now, if they do win both of their games, if they win out, they should actually beat, or they should actually make the playoffs. But for the Raiders, Jake, if they want it, <clears throat> excuse me 
they can sneak into the wild card, but the best thing for the Raiders is to basically try and make it into try and win the division. Because that's going to end up what it is. If the Raiders win this game, Jake, their their odds for playoffs, their chances go up to 30%. That you will absolutely take. Now for the Colts, Jake, it's an equally must win because, again, you also have a chance at the division. And Gardner Minshew has played well, but you need Jonathan Taylor to really be your workhorse. He has played very well in a year that most people I don't think expected him to play well. We heard a lot about this in the offseason, and then you saw that when he got hurt, I don't think any of us expected anything to happen contract-wise for him, and then he gets a four or a three-year deal, $42 million. If I'm Jonathan Taylor, Jake, I'm willing to give up a little bit of, I'm willing to give more myself, even though Jim Irsay's a creep. And Jake, Michael Pittman, we cannot rule out his importance. He's got 99 catches for over a thousand yards. He is your number one receiver. I think in order for them to win this game, he's going to have to be targeted close to 12 times. And he's going to have Easy. to make, and he's going to have to get eight or nine of those. And one but of them you bring up, will have to be a touchdown. You bring up Michael Pittman. He's actually questionable because he has his concussion still dealing with and He has a shoulder injury as well. The ah. other key injuries for this game is Zach Moss is out with a forearm injury. Braden Smith, your star right tackle, is questionable with a knee injury, and we all know how important a lineman's knees are. Yes. Michael Mayer on the Raiders is out. There's your star tight end. You're questionable with Andre James, your center, and Jermaine Illuminor, your right tackle. So it's like, well, shit. And Colton Miller, there's not a game status in injury on him, but he's limited participation in practice, so he's probably not going to be 100%. And Greg Van Roten did not participate in practice. So you have four of your five starters on the O-line that are either questionable or limited in practice and are not going to be 100%. Yeah, that's why Indianapolis is favored by four. Four is a tricky number in betting. Usually that's a hook. I would probably stay away from it just because of the fact that it's a tricky game to really bet if you are betting it. But we'll have to wait and see for our picks here in just a few minutes. Jake, my second game is the primetime NBC slot, the Packers and the Vikings. Two teams that both can make the playoffs, but you're really needing this win the most if you are the Vikings. Because right now, you make, you are in, or no, you're just outside the playoffs right ahead of Seattle. Now, the Packers and the Vikings both can make the playoffs if they win out and Seattle or LA lose one of the remaining two games. Now, I think both of them can actually win out. So, Jake, we might see three NFC North teams or three NFC West teams. But, Jake, if you're Minnesota, I do have to wonder if you want to make the playoffs. Now, your quarterback... I think more than likely you'll see Jaron Hall at quarterback because we've seen Josh Dobbs and Jake Josh Dobbs has been magical, but he's a backup for a reason. Now, I think Nick Mullins, Jake, also he's he's kind of whatever. 
I think last week sort of showed that he's not going to be a guy that you're wanting, but to be like leading your franchise, I don't think he's a great backup either. And that's not great when you, when everyone needs backups. So I think Jaron Hall, who played well before he got knocked out of the game, I believe with a concussion that he, that he started, I think he can perform well against the Packers defense, Jake, that you have solid players. You have Rashawn Gary. I mean, you have, you have Preston Smith, you have good players, but you suspended Jair Alexander. And to be honest, Jake, I'm going to say this right now. I don't think you're going to have him for the rest of the, I don't think he will be back with the team next year. I think they're going to want to cut bait. I think Jake, that if you're the Packers, this is where you want Jordan Love to shine. Prime time, everyone's going to be watching, meaningful game in January, or, well, New Year, ringing in the New Year. Jake, if I'm the Packers, do you look at this game with Jordan Love? And obviously, they've shown that they're going to be very patient, but... There is a very real possibility that you could move off of him next year. You don't have a really traditional contract with him. If there's a quarterback out there for you to go after, do you? So to answer that question, I think he has proven enough to stay as the team leader at quarterback. He has 27 touchdowns to 11 picks. And he also has three rushing touchdowns, which brings him to an even 30. He's not the most accurate, but this is his first full season, and his receivers have either been injury-prone or they have dropped the ball a little bit. But another thing you have to look at, like I've said in the past, is this is the youngest team in the league, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I think if you take Love out of the equation... You're taking a full year of development from every other young piece on that offense away saying, fuck you. And that is really rough when Christian Watson has had spurts, but he's been injury prone this year with Nixon bumps. Jane Reed is flashing very much. And you could see him easily as that wide receiver three. And he's like the new Randall Cobb, in my opinion. Now, is he going to have a career like Randall Cobb? That's up for debate. And the rest of the young receiving core and the tight end core that are all rookies is like, damn, okay, there's a lot to look at. But people can't stay healthy. I mean, David Bakhtiari out for the year, like we've talked about earlier many times. Elton Jenkins is questionable. So there goes your entire left side going against one of the most blitz-happy teams in the league. So it's kind of like, well... This ain't good. Aaron Jones is questionable. Luke Musgrave is doubtful with a kidney injury. Shit, Devontae Campbell, your star middle linebacker, is doubtful with a neck injury. Even Darnell Savage being questionable as he is in coverage. He's still decent at some points. And don't, uh, he's, don't rule out Dontavian Wicks being questionable. Yep, he's questionable too. Because he, yep. in my opinion, is your deep ball guy and he tracks the ball very well. If Christian Watson's not healthy, I totally agree with that because Dontavian Wicks is pretty much a Christian Watson, but 
you can't actually stay healthy. Now, Wix isn't the player that Watson is, but Wix is still a damn good receiver when you need that deep threat. Quay Walker, for what he's worth, is questionable as well. The thing that really hurts is Eric Stokes is out with injury. You suspended Jair Alexander when you're trying to make a playoff push. And it's like, okay, you're down two of your three starting cornerbacks. You're probably down one of your starting safeties. Your weapons on offense with A.J. Dillon, Jaden Reed, Luke Musgraves, Manuel Wilson, Christian Watson, and Dontavian Wicks are all injured. And half of them may not even play, if not all of them. Now, I'm not going to talk about the incompetency or having to stick to the script or the rule of thumb with the Packers benching your best defensive player, if not your top two defensive players, in Jair Alexander. And I agree with you, if he shipped off, it wouldn't shock me, in my honest opinion. Because I think I said I saw it best when I saw it on Twitter, that this team is going to pick Joe Barry over Jair Alexander. And I love my Packers. Some of my family members said, oh, Aaron Rodgers is gone. He's not a Packers fan anymore. Fuck you. They're still my team. If Joe Barry they choose DC. Yes. If Joe Barry is picked over Jair Alexander, I, I will still love my team, but I might have to emotionally check out because well, I don't know what the fuck we're doing. Well, I will say this now that I've seen a little bit more clarity as to why Jair Alexander was suspended. I do understand it because he was not a captain. Why are you going out there? I understand you're from Charlotte, Charlotte, but don't be fucking going out there. And you did almost give up. You know, you almost let the Panthers get the ball to start both halves, which is a bit of a yikes. But I don't know if you should have suspended him for it. I think you, you definitely should have fined him. But find Jake, him into the ground so that people learn from the mistake, but he still plays. But Jake, I think that the line is interesting. Vikings are favored by only one. They're dealing with injuries as well. Byron Murphy and Theo Jackson are both out, and Jordan Addison is questionable. I don't really know about this game other than the fact that both teams have a very real chance of making the playoffs, but I do think only one of them will. If you had me to pick which one were to make the playoffs, it would most likely be the Packers. But Jake, moving on to our final game, and this is the shared game, by far the best game of the week, and for some reason it's in the 10 o'clock window. You have the Dolphins facing the Ravens, and Jake, this is going to decide the number one seed in the AFC, and if the Dolphins win out, then they would have the number one seed based off of tiebreaker, but... Jake, I think this game's going to come down to the secondary of the Ravens taking on the Dolphins receivers, especially if Jalen Waddle is able to play. Now, I believe he is questionable. He's out. Or he is out. Excuse me. He is out. That is something that is definitely going to hurt this team. Now, Robert Hunt being doubtful. Eh. And Jake, I did just get an alert on my phone. Raheem Mostert will be inactive as well. So it will be Jeff Wilson and Devon A. Chan. So here's hoping we can see Devon A. Chan sort of recapture what we saw earlier in the year. Now, Zay Flowers is questionable. Same with 
Kyle Hamilton, and Kevin Zeitler. So you could be without one of your guards, your best receiver, and Kyle Hamilton, your best safety. I do think Kyle Hamilton would more than likely play. Zay Flowers more than likely play. But I wouldn't be surprised with Kevin Zeitler dealing with both a knee and a quad injury. You sit him down. But Jake, this secondary for the Ravens, we've seen Marlon Humphrey be torchable, which I don't think anyone would have ever thought being that Marlon Humphrey is a very good corner, but not this year. Tyreek Hill is going to get most of the focus. I think it's going to come down to how much man do the Ravens want to play and will we see single high safety if the Dolphins aren't able to run the ball? They'll march back both Geno Stone and Marcus Williams. Whereas if they do get a run game established, you're going to have that you're going to have to drop that safety into the box. Play action is going to be open and that motion that Miami runs is very very formidable. But this Ravens defense, Jake, has been fantastic all year, and especially at home. The Ravens are 5-2 at home. Dolphins, 4-3 away, but they play a lot better in Miami. So definitely a team that they want to get home field. Both teams would want to get home field since they're both 7-1 at home, Jake. But Baltimore is favored by 3.5, which I would say is about right. What do you think is going to be the biggest storyline in this game, though, Jake? I think the biggest story is you're going to see a lot of three. Well, in my opinion, because you said it best, how is this defense or this secondary going to handle Terry Kill? Um, they're going to run a lot of triple safety packages. You're going to have Gino and Marcus as the back end safeties, and you're going to have Kyle in the box. So I think that's really how it's going to work. And I think the biggest story officially is the injury bug that has bitten the Miami Dolphins offensive line against one of the best pass rushing units in the Dolphins. This could spell disaster for Tua because Austin Jackson, questionable with an oblique injury. Robert Hunt is doubtful with a hamstring injury. Liam Eikenberg, calf and ankle, question. Lester Cotton, a Lester Cotton, questionable with a hip injury. And don't forget, Javon Holland, Xavier Howard, and Jalen Ramsey are all questionable as well. That's three of your best pieces in the secondary right there against receivers on the Ravens that have figured their shit out and they're not dropping the ball as much as they have. If they have so many injuries piled up and half, even if half of these guys don't play, the Dolphins are going to need close to a miracle to win this because... I think the Ravens, like we discussed, are the best team in the NFL. The Dolphins are still a damn good team. But if they get one hiccup, that's a drive killer. It throws them off their motion so much. I can't remember the biggest time I've seen a juggernaut team like this. Where one little op, one little pebble in the road can throw off their entire game plan. So it's kind of like, well, Ravens are really good at destroying good teams and being pebbles in the road for these good teams. So you said it was three and a half or four and a half, three and a half. Yeah, I could see why, because I think the Ravens should win this in all practicality. 
very possibly, Jake. I think that would be more likely. But what I will say this, Jake, if the Ravens do win this game, it's going to be on the arm and legs of Lamar Jackson because mobile quarterback against a defense that, while is athletic, Jalen Phillips' loss is massive. And what I will say, Jake, I think the biggest key, we've talked about him for the last few weeks, keep an eye on Justin Matabike wrecking that interior O-line. If he's at all disruptive, that spells trouble for this Dolphins run game and for Tua. But Jake, let's go ahead and get your picks for our five games. You went three and two last week. I went a perfect five and oh. Definitely want to try and do that again. Who are you picking? So I'm going to start off with, I think the Seahawks are going to do good enough to beat the Steelers. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think they'll do good enough. I think I'm going to take the upset and Bengals beat the Chiefs. I think the Colts are going to do just enough to overcome Antonio Pierce's vaunted defense. Barely. But I think with the quarterback situation the Raiders have, I think the Colts are good enough to win that game. Um, What was your second game, by the way? My second game was Packers-Vikings. Yeah. I hate myself for doing this, but you gave up 30 points to the Panthers of all fucking teams. You made their first overall pick in Bryce Young look like a legitimate quarterback. You made him look like CJ Stroud, for God's sakes. And it's like, okay, you're down so many key pieces on your defense. You suspended your best cornerback against a team that has Justin Jefferson. Good fucking luck. I'm taking the Vikings because of the Packers and Ept to fire Joe Barry and the front office front office being inept. And I want to take the Ravens over the Dolphins. All righty, Jake, I'm going to also take the Seahawks over the Steelers. I think those tackles are going to be able to hold up long enough. And I like JSN, Jackson Smith, and Jigba's growth. I think he makes DK's loss, if he is unavailable, a little bit less of an issue. And Tyler Lockett is just still very, very consistent. I think the Seahawks win in a close one. I am going to take the Bengals as well. I just think that momentum matters. And the Bengals, after a loss against the Steelers, it's a physical team. It's a divisional rival. I think that their defense is going to get on Patrick Mahomes. Their secondary is going to be able to hold up. Give me Cincy. Now, I'm going to take the Raiders because I think that they absolutely have the momentum as well. And I think that if we can get literally any offense from Aiden O'Connell, Raiders should win and Antonio Pierce continues his hot streak. Now, Jake, I can't believe I'm doing this. I am also going to take the Vikings. I think that while Jordan Love has played well, I just think that the injuries are too great for them. I think Rashawn Gary can still have a good game and the Vikings still pick up the win. And I think Jaron Hall starting will win it for them. And I am also going to take the Ravens because I just don't trust the Dolphins as a whole yet against a good team. We saw them against Dallas and a game that 
you could argue with some officiating they should have won just like how dallas with some officiating should have lost against the lions but the ravens i think will make no difference on the officiating i think that they might win this comfortably but jake that is going to wrap things up for this episode of run past the brain cell thank you all for listening you can check us out on the iHeartRadio app apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts make sure to follow so you never miss an episode and for jake miller i'm adam skirko we'll see you next time take care take it easy